Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup to nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to another episode of On The Side. Today we have a killer interview for you. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Paul Goodman, who is a clinician, surgeon, and teacher. He's a board-certified ophthalmologist, originally from Washington, D.C., and attended University of Maryland, earning his bachelor's degree in microbiology, went on to complete his medical training at University of Maryland Medical School and residency at Georgetown. And he's got the craziest story. So pre-pandemic, Dr. Goodman was seeing (laughs) patients (laughs) performing daily surgeries, daily eye surgeries, saying things like forceps. Just kidding. Maybe he said that. I don't know. We didn't talk about it. But since eye surgeries are often more elective versus emergency surgery, he actually used this time to dive in on nutrition research and basically made this major career move by turning a passion project into a business with his colleague and now co-founder, Dr. Hubert Pham. Their company is called iNutrition MD, and it's at the forefront of the next generation of medical care. Just, just like a side hobby, just a sensible side hobby went on to become a business that is geared to enhance conventional treatment for eye health through simple shifts in food and lifestyle. Basically, this is going to be the next generation of products in personalized healthcare. The idea is to prevent and even stop the progression of certain diseases through nutrition and food. So what many of us may not know, and it occurred to me as I was just kind of making notes to myself for the interview, is that I don't know that this is really at the forefront of everyone's mind on the topic of eye health, but healthy eyes is literally the the vehicle, the window to healthy brains. <laughs> I don't know that we talk about that quite as much as clinicians, both in research and in practice, but research really shows that mild, even, even just mild vision loss over time can actually impair cognitive function and memory. And much of the research to date really shows this strong relationship between what you eat and basically your health above the neck, so your brain health. Ultimately, what we really got into and what Dr. Goodman's philosophy is, is that knowledge is power in nutrition more so than anything else. Basically, after each of the meal plans on the new program, you're given information to continue to apply the advice to your personal tastes, adapt them to your preferences, and see what's available to you to keep making informed food choices that work best for your lifestyle. So you guys can see why he sounds like my kind of guy. 
You're very welcome. Um, We got into everything from the massive challenge that physicians in practice face when it comes to time and spending time with patients and getting information out. And of course, follow up on that time. We also talked about Paul's favorite current recipe, which is gazpacho, kind of a sneak attack little favorite go-to cold soup. Anyone else loving cold soup? I personally love gazpacho, but now I'm, I'm like salivating thinking about the gazpacho recipe that is actually on the website, and we're going to link it here in the show notes. This recipe specifically was developed by Paul's sister, Emily. Shout out. Hi, Emily. I love your gazpacho, I think. I'm going to love it when I make it. We also talk about what is missing from the training in medical school and how Paul wound up finding food and nutrition as this massive missing piece to helping his patients feel better sooner. I loved this conversation and I'm so excited to share this interview and to share more info about Nutrition MD with all of you. And having worked in clinical nutrition, specifically with patients recovering from brain injury, we really had so much shop to talk. I've got to say that given all of the poor communication of applying science to real life that we've all experienced at one point or another, but, you know, especially over the last couple of months, I was that much more excited to chat with someone who's just down to earth, who puts things clearly and relatably and is practical, but also just like really amped up about the work he's doing now, which is just inspiring. So lots of insights, lots of tips, lots of fun laughs and conversation and recipes, of course. But I can't wait to hear what you guys think. I think this is a great one. So if you love it, of course, always five-star reviews, please comment, but only nice comments. You know the drill. Appreciate you guys. And I will see you on the other side. Enjoy the interview. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. Okay, today's listener question is, what's your take on the keto diet? Benefits? Risks? Hmm. Okay. So first, what is the keto diet? It's a dietary approach in which 10% of your calories are coming from carbs, 70% or more of your calories are going to come from fat, and 20% are coming from protein. The idea is to induce ketosis, which is a metabolic state. It occurs about 24 to 48 hours after cutting out all carbs whatsoever. And essentially, it starts when it starts with extremely low carb or extremely low calorie diets because of the decrease in your body's insulin levels as a result of the extreme decrease in the amount that you're actually taking in. A lot of what happens with that massive decrease in insulin is related to water loss from your body's own muscle glycogen. You use your muscles glycogen stores first um, for energy, which will provide about three kilograms of water per one kilogram of muscle, which sounds really technical, but really what that means is that that's why you're losing so much water weight initially in the very initial phase of the diet. Okay, I want to make the point, most importantly, that this diet's been studied for pediatric seizure disorders and intervention for those who are refractory to seizure medication. I think that's critical to know because when people talk about, there's so many studies on keto or there's lots of studies on keto, there aren't for the sake of the of uh, as an intervention for adults in making long-term sustainable weight loss or health-related shifts in their dietary approach and their lifestyle, okay? So this is really a very limited area of research. Is the keto diet healthy? Uh, not really. It limits the world's most nutrient-dense foods. It's low in carbs, fiber, minerals, B vitamins, antioxidants, potassium, magnesium, phytonutrients, 
think about it. If the intended use of keto was originally as a part of a medical treatment, right? The idea of doing this long-term or in a sustainable way long-term for most adults who have plants at their disposal, who are able to include plant-derived uh, foods in order to create an overall balanced and nutrient-dense and nourishing plate, that's why you know cutting all of that good stuff out and subsisting on uh, pepperoni might feel a little bit um, seemingly delicious and then ultimately a little bit challenging. So you are limiting nutrient-dense foods, critical to to understand to why I'm not such a big fan of the keto diet in general. Okay. The side effects also, they're real. <laughs> they're not a myth. Um, keto flu, keto breath. If you've ever sat next to someone who kind of smells like a rotting version of nail polish remover, really nail polish remover, um, that's some keto breath. So it, it's pretty gross. Um, there's also long-term complications, including bone loss, organ function, abnormalities, micronutrient deficiencies, gastrointestinal problems. There's also appetite dysregulation and exhaustion. I think appetite dysregulation is an important one to anyone who might be considering trying a keto approach simply because, you know, in the initial phase of keto, your satiety hormones are increased and your hunger hormones are decreased. But what happens when you come off of the keto diet, right? So you have one saltine, you're off the keto diet. You wind up actually doing the reverse. Your appetite suppressing hormones increase significantly from your personal baseline, meaning that you're likely to feel hungrier than you did before you started. You're also exhausted because your body is you know, essentially searching for sources in you're stealing from your body's own stores in order to have energy that you need to, to function. And your body's going to prioritize giving glucose to your brain, to your vital organs. So you're going to feel generally lethargic. Does keto help you lose weight? Well, in the short term, it will because of that water weight, right? But in the longer term, you know, the only the only real way that we know that keto could in theory work for you long-term is if you were to stick with it and and continue taking in fewer calories than you burn. There's no magic trick here, right? Like there's no magic way to kind of circumvent that fact, which is ultimately it will be how your, your ability to actually lose weight and keep it off will be your ability to, to sustain this dietary approach. So that's really the be all end all right there. Anything that feels unsustainable to you is going to be temporary and anything that's temporary therefore can't be something that you can stick with or stay with long-term, right? And also, I would never want you to. I mean, obviously, better health, well-being is really about inclusion and the ways that you can find to consume more plants, more produce, more seafood more often. All right, so think about where you can do more as usual. You know that that's my, basically my tagline at this point. But it, you know, I would not recommend keto because I don't think that it, the, the extreme nature of it has some side effects. And also it can get expensive. It can be really hard and it, and it can be really dispiriting. And also that kind of weight cycling that comes with binging and restricting. And this is a, a massive form of restriction, right? Even if it's temporary, it will be a form of restriction can create a cycle of that binge and restrict and weight cycling for long-term, which can have some really powerful and deleterious metabolic effects. So I would not recommend this. I would say err on the side of Mediterranean. And let's get back to the episode. We'll deep dive on this more on the On The Side YouTube channel. Paul Gay, welcome. Dr. Paul Goodman on the podcast. Paul, first, I have to I have to hit you with an unexpected question, which was, how how was your glamping weekend? 
Oh, it was good. Actually, it was kind of, uh, we're on live. So it was, it was, <laughs> there were, there were some highs and lows. So glamping was beautiful. We got there. The cabin is, is not a tent, you know, it's attached to this five-star restaurant. Um, but you know, no Wi-Fi. like there's some cons- considerations towards the idea of roughing it. Um, but, <laughs> and, and we love this place. My wife and I have gone many times, not since we had kids though. Ooh. So it turns out that that was a wrinkle that, that really <laughs> changed the glamping experience. Like our kids, you know, we're all in this one cabin and our kids just didn't have their usual things to do. There's only one thing to do there and it's hike. And they, they were interested in that for about 30 minutes. <laughs> um, and then we had to figure out what else. So to give you a, like, I think a, a snapshot of where, of how things went was Sunday morning. I was running through the forest in just a towel chasing my dog who my <laughs> youngest had let out without her leash because she, she decided she wanted to, to, to go out to the porch by herself. So yeah, there I was. Create a little excitement. She was like, dad, I thought that you might <laughs> just pull out your phone and we could then rewatch this video instead of <laughs> streaming something on Wi-Fi. Yeah. She, yeah, the, the lack of Wi-Fi drove them crazy, but yeah, she, she started to open the door. I said, Sienna, don't open that door. And then she did anyway. And boom, <laughs> dog's gone. I'm barefoot running through the forest. Yeah. Holding my towel at like, <laughs> I was in the middle of brushing my teeth. And then oh, I remember no. I, I got back inside. I said to my wife, like, can we please go? Right. <laughs> can we go home now? <laughs> so yeah, clamping, but you know, it was, it was beautiful. We were in the mountains. The leaves are starting to change. There were some moments that were really nice and uh, it, it was good to get away. I like that time of, you know, sort of quiet and thinking and that kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. It reminded me of what it was like to go when we were childless. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it had notes. It had those notes. But it it was an unexpected. It sort of like reminds me of that, the name of that TV show, Naked and Afraid. It's like (laughs) the running through the woods with the towel chasing. Right. And I was like, a priority one is, is, my dog, who my love to rescue, but one B is not ending up running naked through the campsite. Right. Right. And I was, I was definitely slower holding the towel, but I was like, uh, you know, I can't drop this. Right. Like I, I don't know. I don't know these people and I don't know these animals. These are unfamiliar animals in the woods. You never know. You never know. So now on this note, so there's a five-star restaurant that you mentioned, but what about, what kind of snack situation are we packing for? Good question. For the so, glamping experience. Um, we, what did we pack? So for the girls, all right, so, so they give you breakfast, which is awesome. It shows up on the front porch. It's these muffins and fresh freeze orange juice. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, it's really nice there. It, it's called the Savage River Lodge, by the way. Okay. It, it's, it's in Maryland, like in Western Maryland in the mountains. Sounds so, glorious. They bring you breakfast. So we don't worry about that. Our girls are extremely picky and we wanted to have a real high, like a high yeah. success rate meal. So we brought peanut butter and crackers because <laughs> we knew they'd eat it. Um, and then my high wife success and I, rate. yeah, high we, success rate. Yes. Hard boiled eggs and uh, nuts, like um, mm. cashews were what we brought. Oh. Yeah. We, we just, you know, those are like easy to pack. I, I hate the packing process. So something we I could know. just throw in there. And then, um, we brought our own fruit just in case they didn't have. So we had a lot of that. And then dinner, we didn't worry about because 
you know, they, they have this nice restaurant that you can, uh, you can get food from. That sounds glorious. What about, you know, like in my dream scenario, there would be this little mini mart on the <laughs> property and you'd be like, amazing. Oh, you I got, got I've see you cashews and I raise you these salt and pepper pistachios kind of thing yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> Not, Not really a bartering, yeah. but still, but still. You could, you could pick your own corn, I guess, but otherwise it's, right. it's restaurant or nothing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, for two days, like we obviously just overpacked, but I, I tend to err on the side of overpacking. I feel like that's what makes me feel safe. And at a certain point you're like, listen, do I need this, you know, box of cocktail olives for (laughs) this elusive martini I'm having while glamping? Maybe I don't because probably I could scour for, (laughs) for, (laughs) for a marinated blue cheese stuffed olive. Yeah, I mean, and if your priority is to have that blue cheese stuffed olive, I'm better to bring it. it. Can exactly. you not fit it in the car? Of course you can. Right, of get course it. you can. Bring it, yeah. Of course you can. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, I'm glad that you got to get away. I'm glad yeah. that it was. I'm glad that you also got to get out. I feel great about the fact that you were like, it's time to go home. I think it's time to go home. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then you left. Um. All right, so let's get into the, I was going to say meat of it, but I, I really feel that that yeah. as we go down the camping path, I, I, now I'm like, I'm seeing everything through the lens of the woods. And I'm like, maybe we don't want to go down the meat. We don't want to get into the meat of it. We want to get to the root. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah. We'll get to the root. We'll walk get down to the, the path. root of things. Exactly. Yeah. We'll walk, uh-huh. we'll, we'll hike the path. Yeah. Tell us first, tell us a little bit about your background and tell us where you are now. And then we'll get into our favorite little activity of a, of a typical day of food. Sure. So in my background, I am, I'm an ophthalmologist, so, you know, an eye surgeon. I am about six years out of training, or seven almost. I went to University of Maryland for undergrad and med school, and then Georgetown for my training, uh, my, my residency training, where we really learn how to do surgery and things like that. And then I just went right into practice in this area as an ophthalmologist, treating patients just outside of DC. And that was all I was, I shouldn't say that's all I was doing. That that was my primary focus up through the pandemic. And as that wrought changes on all our schedules, you know, the same for me, it, it, it sent us all home. I mean, eye care is certainly important, but it, at least in the first month or so, it didn't rise to the level of like urgently necessary where we wanted to have yeah. the office open and have people congregating. You know, if you think back to March 2020, we didn't know what we thought we could touch things. Right. So anyway, that we we just stopped. You know, we we had a few patients that really can't have to be seen, but for the most part, you can push things back. And and yeah. so there I was at home and had a little time to to brainstorm and come up with mm. some new directions and you know skipping a lot of steps in between here. I am talking to you about a, about a new project for nutrition uh, and health. Oh, this is exciting. Okay. This is exciting. So we're going to get all the way into that, but first let's talk about your present day. Walk us through a typical day and let's start with breakfast. Where does it start? How are we snacking? How are we eating? What goes on in the life of Dr. Paul Goodman? And what kind of food is involved in this day-to-day? Your average Monday. Sure. Your average post-glamp Monday. Post-glamp Monday. <laughs> well, it, was, it was like <laughs> it was a, a stiff drink. <laughs> right. First, it started with yeah. a martini. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Jackie, this is, it's a bad start 
Don't say this. that, Paul. Don't say I, that. But okay. this is not a it's not a fasting thing or okay. any but I, I have to admit that I rarely eat breakfast. It's okay. just it's There's never no, really, this is a non-judgmental breakfast yeah, I, club here. But I want okay. to set a good example. You know, I have <laughs> I, I know, I know. One might imagine I have authority. I, you know, I, I'd encourage people to ask Jackie before me, but in, in terms of what you eat, don't do what I say, not what I do, because you should eat breakfast. <laughs> it, what I found, I think that this developed through my training where often I was up so early that I was up it before would be breakfast. Like the middle of the night, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like 4 a.m. I was I was in the hospital. So I just got used to not eating. I, I didn't like, I almost felt like it slowed me down, like eating a big breakfast certainly did. And I started to really just have coffee and, and I'm a, also a big believer in not eating until I feel hungry. And I, you know, I generally don't, don't feel the need to eat till, uh, 12 or so. So, so mornings coffee, that's it. And, and what goes in the coffee? Just, just, uh, just black. Again, not an affectation, but it, it's, it's badass, I, Paul. It I've, I've always, badass. Felt, yeah, I've always okay. felt that it doesn't taste right to me with a, unless it has a ton of cream and sugar. And then I like yes. it. Yes. You know, it's funny that you say that. I think I'm, I am also in that camp. Either it's got to be black and just like, like something really delicious that you're like, oh, this blend is the blend that can I can only have black. Or it's got to be a veritable milkshake. And yeah. I'm like, yes, this is my morning yeah. milkshake. Yeah, I like I like <laughs> it when it tastes like a milkshake. But then I'm, you know, I'm like, I don't want to have this in the morning. So, yeah. so yeah. black, I will occasionally later in the day have, you know, the equivalent of a coffee milkshake. Um, <laughs> but mostly it's just the, the black coffee come to lunchtime-ish. It varies quite a bit, obviously, but you know, I'm, I'm very into, I, I think one of a couple things, either gazpacho that, you know, we talked about that on my website. Uh, I love having a gigantic army sized pot of gazpacho in the fridge and I'll, I'm happy to eat it every day for lunch with a, with like a crusty wheat bread. Oof. Yeah, it's good. And then I'm full and I'm happy. It, it, it it's that very... sounds so delicious. I'm upset. Mm -hmm. I feel like I just haven't had enough <laughs> gazpacho this summer in particular. I mean, maybe even it has to at least have been two years since a good gazpacho. But yeah, it's the kind of thing that when you no judgment on buying it either. It's such yeah, an easy yeah. thing to buy a big thing of. And it's often very good. But yeah, it, I like making it, having it around. It's great in the summer. Oh. If not that, a lot of like a lot of garbage. Or chickpea related. I yeah. think either like a salad with chickpeas or or just hummus on bread with like avocado or oh. it's, you know it's usually fairly light. I guess again I don't like to get slowed down in midday. Yes, I don't want to yes, fall asleep. I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. Right. That would be. That's not maybe the best look. You don't want to be with a patient being like, "I'm here. I am. I'm performing surgery on your eye." And I'm just going to hit snooze for about three minutes. Yeah. Pat quick power nap. Right. Like yeah. that would not be, that's important. And like, like <laughs> listen, it's in your best interest that I have this power nap because I'm so tired. I'm really... Right. I'm just so tired. <laughs> Let me just put these tools down for one sec. Okay. Are you, is um, everyone good? We'll just yeah. hit pause. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like, what do you want me to do? Operate sleeping? No. No. Good night. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So light lunch, you know, I, tuna. You know, it's funny with tuna fish, like I was a very picky eater as a kid. Yeah. And oddly enough, the one thing I ate consistently was tuna. So 
Me too. Really? Jackie, yes. I thought I was the only one in the world. Because no, you think me too. a picky kid, yeah. they're not going to eat tuna, but. Right. So how did I you, know. when you, how did you eat it? Like with a fork or was there? So I have this like very vivid memory of my dad making tuna fish salad with, I mean, really, I'm pretty sure we went as basic as possible, which yeah. would have been like the tuna mayo, with tuna. mayo. And that Nothing might have just been salt and pepper. That might've been it. Now it evolved to be sometimes either you take out the mayo and you put in like a really ripe slash mildly overripe avocado and kind of uh-huh. mash it together and you said uh-huh. it, or it would be like a half and half situation. But I'm thinking about that like large silvery mixing bowl oh, setup yeah. that I feel like would be, that's what this was always made in. Like yes. that was, it was always prepared in something that was meant to be used for baking, <laughs> but actually it's a tuna fish bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think we have a shared nostalgic memory here. That I, it, like, first of all, if there was anything green in it, I would say no. no it's no, got to no, be no. a white food, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and, <laughs> this is a white food. But yeah, I, yeah. So tuna, I have a long-standing relationship and yes. love it. And frankly, could eat it every day and just try try to find other things. Uh, totally, yeah. totally. My sister got me. And I don't even know where this one started because it's the most random. It's the most random combination of ingredients, which is canned sardines, which I've always been partial to a great canned sardine. Maybe not always. I would say as a kid, I probably was not. But this is definitely an adult development uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. but she she's obsessed with them with like packed in olive oil and like a garlic infused olive oil, like a lemon mm-hmm. and garlic or a spicy jalapeno version. And mm-hmm. that, that sounds like real heaven to me. That sounds yeah, like those are, I've gotten recently into the fancy canned fish yes. like world. It, it's quite a, it's quite a expansive. <laughs> I had no idea. All of a sudden I'm buying canned mackerel from Portugal. Right. <laughs> yeah. I know. All of yeah. a sudden you're going to Portugal just to get your mackerel <laughs> yeah. in a can. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's yeah, a lot it's, that goes into that. It, it was a funny development for someone who's always loved canned tuna and really never thought about it. I know. That it was a real fish. <laughs> and then I it's know. like, oh, there's even, there's canned tuna that's even a sort of a different but right. sort of a different level. Yeah. Right. You yeah, know the, what and I'm it's, seeing? It's healthy too. I mean, it's really good for right. you. Right. It's so great. But what I what I'm seeing everywhere that is I say this with the full knowledge that there's absolutely only I can only see upside to this, but for me it's a mental thing, which is like when you when you see a fish in like a vac pack, you know, like that those kind of <laughs> It's yeah. like, like they're like, cause if it's like next to the uncle Ben's, it's like, this is rice or it's tuna. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I believe you that there's tuna in there. And I'm sure that that is more, even more delicious than yeah. what I'm used to, but I'm not ready. I I'm going to need to gradually ease into that one. It, yeah. It's the, it's, there's something to the, just seems mysterious, right? Like it's, either. I mean, you're, you're, you're used to, first of all, again, tuna aside, which I genuinely did not think of as a fish as a kid. <laughs> Thankfully, because I wouldn't Same. have eaten it. Um, Same. I, you know, we think of fishes, they're supposed to be just perfect, fresh, whatever. So, right. So the, the magic of the canned ones was that they preserve that freshness, yes. but you have to have a little faith. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not give up on the dream. We can't give up on that canned tuna no. dream is right. All right. So that's, so that would be right, lunch time. So yeah, that's probably covers it. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some other examples, I'm sure, but that, that's probably 70% of my average sort of weekday work day. Yes. Um, and then snacks. 
I don't get too creative with snacks. It's almost always just a handful of either almonds, cashews, peanuts. It, you know, I, I just have those around. Oh, and sunflower seeds, roasted, Ooh. unshelled, Ooh. Yeah, salted, which is, you know, probably one of my bigger things to work on is, is salt. You know, I would have to disagree with this, Paul, because I feel like the little, the little unknown truth about salt in that capacity, like on chips or on nuts or on sunflower seeds, uh-huh. is that although sunflower seeds can be a little stealthy, sunflower seeds can be like super high sodium for some reason, which I don't really understand because nuts really have that surface salt. Yeah. So like you're still at that 140 or like 170 sometimes milligrams of sodium, which is yeah. technically kind of low sodium. It's, it's sort of impressive like to get the salted version of a nut is like actually not costing you very much actual sodium contributed to your day. But yeah. now that I'm thinking about sunflower seeds, I feel like I'm so well, sorry If you're say. talking surface area, you know, they're little. <laughs> right. So the surface area to like internal, essentially I'm eating a handful of salt because they're so tiny. Just a little one. Just but, a, ca- a very small one. Yeah. Yeah. A pinch. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, uh, I'm happy to hear that I have your blessing to continue to eat the salted cashews because I'm not looking at, I'm not looking at the unsalted. I just can't like, they don't do it for me. It's honestly like, it's a little bit like wood chips. And I just feel like it's, it's our collective responsibility to share with people that you don't have to eat the wood chips. Yeah. No, it's a, it, I mean, it's a great it's, point. I think it gets to a, a bigger idea, which I know is, is big for you that you have to give people practical advice. Yes. Uh, you know, if you tell them, no, no, only unsalted nuts and they hate it. They're not going to eat these good snacks at all. And then you fall into traps. So, you know, for me, thinking that it was too much sodium, perhaps, I still was willing to do it because in my mind, it was like, this is a good way to eat. I'd rather do this than unsalted, like, you know, butter or whatever. Yes, I know. It's a really important thing to keep in mind is like, you can't be perfect. You have to- No such thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hit your goals. Don't, you know, have the dressing on your salad, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, that's that's a personal mantra for me, as you well know. So you're back in in an office space currently. No. So um, I am full-time, 100% working on our project right now. I decided... So exciting. Yeah. You know, I'm still an eye doctor or an ophthalmologist. I I, I can and may go back because sometimes projects like this just don't go where you think they're going to go. But... I I, th- I just threw some salt. I'm throwing salt over my shoulder yeah. as you say. I, you know, I just think it's it, it, you have to be realistic. I'm not like I'm I'm maintaining my licensure and things like that. Right. But obviously, I have a lot of confidence in this. I wouldn't, you know, people think that I'm a little crazy for leaving the office. I spent a grueling decade to become yeah. a, a surgeon, and frankly, I see enough good to be done with nutrition and health in eyes and and frankly beyond that I think it's worth giving all of my time to this. I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure that I could really give this, give this the opportunity it deserved without working on it full time. So yeah, you know, each day it's, it's a lot of research initially, like the first several months were really just research. We're pretty dogmatic in wanting to find high quality studies and, yeah. and and only use those as basis for what we recommend that people eat. And, you know, finding those in eyes was, eh, you know, sort of like we were familiar with it. So Hubert, Hubert's wow. the other doctor and I. And then I've been, you know, looking, it started to cross my desk as I looked at through all the eye nutrition stuff, 
that there's so much more, you know, there's other fields with really big studies. So I, I dug into those as well. And, um, you know, now really working on how we're going to help people to eat this way. You know what? There's a, I think there's a lot of ways to skin the cat when it comes to getting someone from point A, which is wanting to, to follow what we're yeah. preaching and to point B, which is actually doing it. So yeah, I'm not, I, not, not practicing right now. I, I find I practice here and there because people still ask me questions about their eyes. So every once in a while I have to, I have to be an right. eye doctor. Uh, right. But <laughs> what do you think is the most, the biggest FAQ in your existence, whether that's present day or, or previously, but like when you say that, what, what kind of questions are you getting now? You know, I, as an eye doctor, it was less nutrition focused, but a lot of, you know, a lot of questions. That was my day. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now I find people are very interested to know, like, what, you know, what can this actually do for me? The, some yeah. folks have a problem and they want to know if, if, if there's ways that they can eat to help that problem. I mean, we've connected yeah. with with a lot of people on Facebook that have dry eye or macular degeneration. And their question is usually like, does this actually help? And, you know, luckily we, the reason we're doing this is because the answer is yes. I think there's a lot of trepidation from people who know that there's a lot of bad information out there. There's a lot of supplements with with claims that are not backed up by good science. Oh, I'm so excited about yeah, this we'll topic. Let's yeah. yes. But and and there's a lot of diets too that that yeah. don't have good scientific basis. And I think people are curious to. I, I'm MD, and I think people expect a certain level of of um, integrity, you know, in terms of yeah. our recommendations. And so the question is like, wait, do, you know, especially from family who who or in friends, does this really work? And I can say, you know, yes, there are studies that prove, they sort of prove what you already know, which is that these things are healthy, but they prove it in a way that's much more useful. You know, they show if you eat this much of the following 10 to 15 things each week, you're going to get certain benefits as shown by, you know, prospective randomized studies, meaning studies that don't just look at people on a Greek island and say, look, they tend to be healthier. They instead take people and say, okay, hundred of you eat this way and hundred of you eat this way. And we're going to see who gets less dry eye. Um, yes. And that, that eliminates a lot of the error. You know, the fact that when you're looking at that Island in Greece, I'm glad they're all healthy, but if you assume that it's their diet, you could be wrong. You know, you're not proving right. anything. It could just be that they get you know, the, the water, the right. or living by the ocean, or it, it's very hard to separate out other things. But when you do these big, randomized controlled trials, yeah. which is really the, the buzzwords, you can prove it. You can, and you can right. prove it to a standard that someone that say the New England Journal of Medicine approves of. And at that point, that's when we as scientists say, okay, this works. And it, going back to your original question, when people ask, can this really help my dry eye? Or can this really prevent cancer? Can it make me smarter? And the, yeah. the fact that the answer is yes, is surprising to them. But like, it's like, look, we, there's this huge study. It's in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it shows that people are, after 10 years of eating this way, their minds are the equivalent of someone who's 7.5 years younger than those right. who didn't eat this way, which is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And it is, oh gosh, there's so much I want to go into on that, especially because, and I don't know, I don't know if you feel this way entirely and, and I don't want to get us too off track, but 
I feel like the conversations around the pandemic has brought the word science or research or study or whatever it is that we're talking about that's the latest buzzword, like you mentioned, the difference between an observational study versus an actual randomized yeah, like control trial. And, yeah. Right. And and I feel like not to not to take this again too far in a different direction, but like what's so interesting to me about that is that first of all, thank God we're like finally able to a little bit have this conversation a little bit more in as a part of the general public area of knowledge to be able to even think at all about what science is and what research, what good research actually is, what it means and what it does for you. But what I think is sort of missing, and I'm hoping that you can share just a little bit on this, is just that I, I think what's missing from that is that, you know, to be in a, in a field of healthcare, to be in, in any type of field that is research in practice, it means that you're in the business of proving yourself wrong all of the time, right? Like that's essentially what you're doing as a researcher is to be able to say, this is the hypothesis. Let's make sure that we, let's try to find out how wrong we are rather than saying, I'm going to go in with this mindset of thinking I'm right. And then, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, and yeah, I hear your point and it's an important one is it's, it's the idea of making incorrect assumptions um, right? and, and early assumptions are, you know, this is, this is a problem I think with less reputable journalism, like it's easiest to jump on a conclusion based on whatever, you know, a bad study or an anecdote. Let's say, you know, we call some evidence anecdotal, which is when you say, Hey, my, my aunt always eats blueberries and her hair, (laughs) her hair is not gray yet. And so, you you know, that's the lowest level, but people are happy to jump to conclusions and that's an understandable human reaction. Like when you see, when you see that A seems to cause B, it's very, very understandable that people jump to that conclusion. And I think there were some really prominent examples of that throughout COVID. And trying to manage people's understanding of of the power of conclusions and why we have to be so careful is it's complicated. You know, it's unfair for someone with an MD to assume that someone gets that. But what you do start to appreciate as you dig into science and research is that there is a lot that goes into a conclusion that doctors and dietitians are going to then be comfortable with. Like right. the standard is very high right. and, and it takes a long time. Um, you know, it takes a long time to be sure that something's safe right. and you can't just, you can't jump the gun. Everyone gives the FDA a hard time for being so slow, but they have certain right. standards and, and they're just not, they're very anxious to figure out where they're wrong. And, right. and as you said, that's, that's study. Studies are learning by disproving, you know, hypotheses. Right. Right. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that. I, I hadn't even really thought about that, which is that in in our very anecdotal conversation, yeah, <laughs> there I mean, is speaking, definitely that perception of the of FDA going slowly, yeah. you know, like of moving yeah, slowly. And I just feel like, do you want, we don't want to rush this. Let's not yeah. rush it. Because <laughs> there are, you know, it always, it seems unlikely that something is going to end up being more harm than good. And especially when you're getting an early study that looks great, it's easy to jump the gun. And I think with the FDA, you know, if you think of them as just like one old man in an office who's very (laughs) patient, he would just tell you like, no, 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 no. You will be surprised because every once in a while you're going to be wrong and you're going to get a medicine or a treatment that, that causes something that you didn't expect. And I don't mean to scare people into thinking you never know when something's going to be harmful. Um, 
you know, I, again, I, I've tried not to be specific, but there's certain things out there that I think people worry could could end up being harmful. And what you should then take faith in or have faith in is the fact that the FDA does not approve right. until until it's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not harmful. Right. I mean. What's amazing about that, too, is that the other component, obviously, and certainly in nutrition more specifically, is that I'm thinking back to something that you just said before about, about you know, we can prove that X works for Y, right? Yeah. Like, if we're trying to get to Y, we can prove that this works for that. There's two sort of factors there after that kind of statement, right? The first is, like, what do we define as works Right. Because like, what does it mean to work? Like if it works, you know, and especially in the field of weight loss, for example, like when people, people say to me, does this work? Like a lot of the time I'm getting that question as it relates to, does uh-huh. this work to help me lose weight? Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, it, it works for a couple days mm-hmm. for, for a week or so. like define works. Like if, are we getting to, are we saying that, you know, we want to be able to, you don't lose five pounds in a week because all you lost was a ton of water weight. Yeah. Like, yes, that, that works on paper. Does that work as in you just establish something that you can actually maintain and feel really good about and feel really energized by and also live your life and also have meals with loved ones that you want to spend time with and also do all of the other things that you want to do in a day without fainting. Yes. (laughs) Right. Like there are certain things like, yes, that works. But it sort of depends on that definition, right? And then the other part of that is also like explaining or sharing with people or kind of like showing the the kind of research in practice of sometimes even when it does work in the best possible way, because it's working for you personally, that may mean that the very parameters of any type of intervention really fit within your everyday lifestyle. So then it's working for you, but it's also what you're bringing to something that you're trying to do. Do you feel like that's kind of, that's kind of going there? That's kind of on it. Okay. Yeah. I I think, I think nutrition is, it's really a special field, you know, scientific field. It's funny. (laughs) I, 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 I didn't have much background in it prior to, I'd say the last year and a half or so. Um, you know, in med school, we get, a couple, maybe I, I it's hard. This is like 15 years ago now, but I think I remember like a module, a couple of days where we were broke up into small groups and worked with the nutritionist. I remember wow. all of us wanting to have that be over with so we could get right. to the things that were actually going to be on our exam. And right. then it never comes up in your third and fourth year, which is the, in the hospital year. So, right. You know, med school, every, nothing gets a lot of screen time. It's right. ophthalmology was a two day course, but but you know, once you're in the hospital, if it's not being reinforced, then you it really is lost. So this idea of nutrition, it's in the back of our heads at best. But as I've dug into it, one of the interesting things is realizing how challenging the science is. You know, the the ability to prove that something works is quite hard, you know, to, to control the intake for patients, you know, to do that mm. kind of study where you say these hundred people eat this and these hundred people eat that. Right. And it's not like a medicine where they're either taking it or not. They're sort of adhering totally to it. True. But on the other hand, the downsides tend to be much lower. And so, you know, again, if you're, if you're telling someone to eat blueberries, the burden of proof is not as high as if you're telling them to, to consume a medicine that has side effects. So, I've come to appreciate this idea of like, what is the standard that we need to meet for evidence before we're ready to say you should eat this. And it's, 
it's different than a medicine for short. That being said, there is some really good evidence out there. I've been so pleased as I did my research to come across these huge studies. You know, I think, I think interest in this field is really blossoming. This idea of, especially what I'm interested in, which is this idea of food as medicine, the ability to use food to prevent or treat disease. You know, interestingly, I came across, it's essentially, it's an elective in med schools called culinary medicine. I mean, it's not a residency, not, I don't think so yet, but you can take classes in this in med school now. George Washington near me um, started it actually. And uh, the guy who started it was a chef and then he went amazing. to med school, became a doctor, and now he started this amazing program that that is starting is kind of building on the back of this of these studies that you can prevent and treat disease with food or with what you eat. And so, you know, we're very excited by all, all the findings, the potential in it. It's it's not that you didn't already know you should eat whole grains and and more fish and things like that, but the fact that we sort of know how much you should eat in a given week of certain things and can tell people what the benefits are is a really powerful tool. And it, frankly, that's, yeah. that's why I left my practice. I mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, it's a really big deal. I, we're, uh, you know, I, I'm anxious to get the word out to people and to, to sell this idea to people that, that it's, you know, it's sort of worth trying. I think it, everyone approaches their eating obviously differently. Some people don't think about it. Some are just anxious to lose weight and, what I want to change is the way people think about this, that, you know, a lot of things, it's always restrictive. You shouldn't eat this. Or oh, you should. And he's speaking my language, people. <laughs> yes. And, exactly. and this, is, this is, this is not less is more. This is more is more, more is more yeah. right. and because this is, these are foods that help you. They, right. they power you. They are fuel. Um, there's a lot of good evidence out there that suggests more than what I will claim if someone asks me, but just the highest level of evidence studies have shown. And and the good news is these essentially are all similar weight, you know, similar diets. Each study is a little different how they set it up, but you can eat in such a way as to hit all of these, um, right. 33% decrease in depression. I mentioned the cognition change, you know, it was the study trying to show if you could reduce rates of Alzheimer's, which it did, but to younger folks, I think that doesn't resonate. But with, when I say that after 10 years of eating this way, your mind is 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 stronger than those who didn't by a factor of seven years. Um, the um, skin improvements, uh, healthier skin, better elasticity, resistance to sunburn, right. obviously the eye stuff, um, better vision. Well, I shouldn't say better vision, but protection of your eyes. So Dry right. eye, which is a huge problem. I mean, everyone's got dry eye and you can reduce it. Yeah. And I think the top line, which I've been excited to find as I've walked the walk the last couple months and eating this way is like, you feel better. Right. And you do lose right. weight. That's the, right. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's, but becomes so much less a part of the conversation, yeah. right? It's like, it's more about the inclusiveness, the foods that are on the table, the ways that you're thinking about preparing meals. You know, what I've found in practice has been such a big barrier is that you're so right. Like there's this idea of wanting to do something there's the, the sort of behavioral science kind of name for it of yes. the intention action gap, right? Like that, that you have the intention that you want to do something really badly. And then when it comes to actually doing it, real life actually gets in the way of what 
you wanted to do. And if you think about that in a different setting, I can't even tell you how many things I feel that way about. It so happens that food is is not that for me. It's not that for you now because yeah. because of, because that's where we spend most of our time. That's what we yeah. spend most of our time doing and thinking about. To put that into a different example, it's sort of like, like I have, I mean, prior to the pandemic, and you know, if you know me, you'd probably say this is still happening, which is that my intention is always to be five minutes early. My <laughs> my reality is more like 15, 15 minutes behind. I'm running 15 I'm running about 15 minutes, right? But like the idea is that actually doing it takes so much work when it comes to like the setup, the preparation, the, uh, you know, everything that goes into it. But the reward of feeling like I made it. I yeah. did it and I'm five minutes early and I beat the, this person I was supposed to meet or whatever it is that you're, you know, and, and when it comes to the small shifts that we can make to kind of put this into practice, I think yeah. a big part of what stops us from getting to that real feeling of reward, like, oh, I feel amazing. And th- that was delicious is a, the perception that it's not delicious, which is, yeah. you know, incorrect. Incorrect, Which is everyone. so incorrect, I'm not, everybody. And, and like, to, I, I don't want to derail you because this is really important, yeah. but I will just say I, I'm not precious about what I eat in the right. past. I was happy to eat crap. Like, right. I didn't mind. I, I right. would eat whatever I thought was good. And so I'm someone with a pretty unrefined palate historically, and I'm happy to eat these things. Like, they are good. It's not... You don't have to pretend that you're enjoying these things. Like they are good. <laughs> right. I ha- I like have this visual of like you chewing like a sad wilted lettuce. Yeah, it's going, like one, Yum. Uh, right. This is every not day bad. just a just a barrel of dry lettuce <laughs> and of spinach. No, it's good. Right. It, it's it's good food. It, it, you know, you, I think your point is important that people should should understand that like this isn't it, juice cleanse where you're miserable. Right. Like it, you're actually right. eating what you sort of what you want to the extent that you want. And anyhow, so keep going. Point number two. Yeah, no, I, I think I think number two. So number one is the perception that it's not delicious or nourishing or fulfilling. And number two would be that that in addition to that, that you can't live your life or that that you have to make some kind of grand change that is sort of like an Olympic sport, right? Like that it should be some sort of extreme form of torture in order Mm -hmm. to actually work for you specifically, you uniquely. Yes. It's not a life. It's not a, it's not a full-time commitment. No, it's not right. There's ways to do it that actually are within the realities of your everyday. And there's also ways to do it that also just kind of take the guesswork out that take a shortcut where you need it. That give you that kind of opportunity is that simpler is better. So I'm glad yes. you, you know, you bring this up this point too, which is one of the founding principles of our company, which is yes. the barrier. I always, I, I, I hammer this home, this barrier from A to B. Point A, I want to do this. Point B, I am doing it to the level that I should be to, that that's dictated by like the studies and things like that. Right. And right. everything we're working on is how we can help people to get from A to B. And, you know, if you're listening and you want to do this, let me encourage you that you don't have to get all the way all at once. Yes. Start right. just, you know, again, this is not a restrictive diet where you can either you do it and you lose weight or you, or you don't, you know, this yeah. is a, it can be done piecemeal. You're trying to incorporate these foods. Right. Um, but again, the, the, the reason I was, I was ready to jump in hundred percent is that this, I think will change the way people not just eat, but really think about food. Yes. And, and you know, I, I'm, if you need to lose weight, 
it's really important that you lose weight. Like that is a big deal. But to be solely focused on that is undoubtedly a mistake. And I think in both yeah. of our opinions and oh, thousand percent. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what we, what we want for you is to help you to incorporate these foods into your, into your diet, starting with, you know, our first product, which is going to be launching in the next couple of weeks is it's, it's just a simple meal plan. It'll tell people what they should eat this, and this is specifically for macular macular degeneration. We're going to Right, have, so this is so cool. So like this is a meal plan specific yep. for people suffering from macular degeneration who are it, hoping to either prevent or stop any further um, right. damage. So tell yes. us a little bit, first, for our listeners out yes. there, give us the little background on macular degeneration, why it matters, why we should care, and then what we're going to be eating on this meal plan. Absolutely. So macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss in the United States. Um, it's prominent in the world too, and not a leader only because there's some other things that are not well taken care of in other countries. But here in the United States, it's a very, very common thing. And as an eye doctor, you'll see it multiple times each day. It's right. loss of your central vision. So yeah. It's a, actually a small area of vision that gets affected in this, but it's very important. Yeah. It, As it, you talk, I'm like, let me just it, make sure. You know, what yes. you use to read or see faces or watch TV, it's right. all in the center. And that part of your eye, which is known as the macula, starts to just degrade over time. It's not totally understood why, but it appears to be related to chronic oxidative damage and, and mm -hmm. probably inflammation, which... Of course, you know, when you're talking about nutrition, those are some, some oh, high yield words. To your point, if every day sees a little macular degeneration in multiple people from multiple different sources, it's sort of like the broader scope for somebody in my line of work would be every day, some sort of oxidative stress, um, yeah. chronic inflammation. Yes, Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. I, I, that's a really good point that this is, it's only the beginning in terms of yeah. what we're trying to achieve, but since we're eye doctors and we started this with macular generation in mind, it has grown beyond that. But yeah. the, you know, our first product is focused on this idea that as the macular degenerates, you, you lose vision. It's everyone has some degeneration of everything over time, but in some folks, for some reason, it reaches a tipping point where they're where they really start to accumulate damage. And yeah. unfortunately, there's really no treatments. Um, you know, if I get if we got into really real details about it. There are some treatments for some stages of this disease, but overall, it really doesn't have any treatments besides nutrition. Yeah, studies showed that there was a supplement with certain nutrients in it that could help, but it, mm -hmm. it it's frankly very limited. It, it's only for people with an advanced stage disease, yeah. and it only helps about a quarter of the time. Um, so there's a acceptance of the idea that that in addition to the the pill, the form that people should be getting these nutrients in whole food form and yes. revisiting the large study that led to the pill showed that getting certain things into your diet, particularly a med Mediterranean diet and not the sort of wishy-washy, just eat yeah. like the Greeks do, but rather right. in specific ways. And in addition to like certain levels of vitamin A, zinc, a, a bunch of other things, yeah. patients were doing, were, were doing better. And yet in the clinic, it's, it's way too complicated to mm -hmm. get someone on board with this diet in the eight minutes you have with them in the clinic. Oh, Cause you're doing, yeah. I mean, yes. you're doing other stuff too. You got to examine them. You got to, 
And, you know, nutrition is a high priority, but it's often not the highest. You know, I still in no way dismiss the value of eye drops or medicines or treatments. And, and often that's really what you have to get into in the clinic. Trying to get someone to change the way they eat is impossible um, in that amount of time. It's hard. It's Preach. hard. Yes. Yeah, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, that's the distinction, right? It's like for a dietitian, presumably someone is coming to you once they've made the decision on their yeah. own that they've decided to make a change. Whereas in your situation, you know, when you're seeing someone for eight minutes, there's about a million things you want to be able yeah. to talk about, give information, and also make sure that there's enough understanding and comprehension to actually do the just sort of baseline yeah. to make sure that there's- And find out what's going themselves. on. And right. so, so the classic is that doctors tell patients like, eat more leafy greens, see in a week. And that's just not sufficient, obviously. So our right. goal is to match the sort of nutrient levels, you know, on a either daily or weekly basis as dictated by this study known as the age-related eye disease study. So the meal plan does that. It's it's really more of like a, it's almost a, an educational course. It, it yeah. starts with, here's what you have to eat every week. This many servings of the following things, fish, legumes, um, uh, leafy greens, certain vitamins, and what we found was that that list is very overwhelming. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's approachable, but it doesn't look like it when you just present it. So in totally. addition to that, we're providing explanations of where you find these things and what it looks like when you incorporate them into your diet. So saying legumes, which, which I have had a noticeable uptick in the amount of times I say the word legumes in the last few months. First of all, you led with chickpeas. We opened yeah. this interview with chickpeas. Exactly. So, so right there, I'm what, proud. Like proud you say that. to someone, you know, like eat, <laughs> put hummus on a piece of bread and eat it each day. Right. And actually you're hitting your servings in three days. And, and then on top of that, we're going to give two actual seven day example meal plans um, that someone wow. can follow, you know, with, with recipes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then snack ideas and say, show them like, this is what it can look like. If you want to eat this way, you know, you follow this. And then of course, we're trying to teach them to fish. We're not trying to just give it to them. So you follow this and it's going to help you. And, and don't worry yeah. if on the third week, you're sort of 50% of the way there, because what you're going to get is this benefit, which is reduced rates of macular degeneration. And for people with a family history yeah. or with a diagnosis, it's going to be an important tool for them in addition to going to their regular eye doctor visits. So that's our first product. We're very excited. Yeah. That's so exciting. It's but, so exciting. Yes. But tell me. What I found as we prepared for this launch, this is this is the original idea of the Max Generation. Right. We love it. We're still going to do it, obviously. Right. Um, but at, what I found is is these other studies. As I said, we, yeah. I started to come across and realize, like Jackie, there's more. There's so much more than eyes. You don't <laughs> yeah. think so after four years of ophthalmology residency? Right. You're like, come on. You're like, well, I, knew, I, guess I thought I knew this already. The right. heart, you know, if the heart's not working. The eyes won't Nothing's work either. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and the other really cool thing is that all of these studies, they use almost the same foods. So with some, some sort of clever machinations, I'm able to incorporate them together. And so what we're really excited about is in the near future, bringing a product, as I said, we want to make a universe of things. So yeah. starting sort of small with these, with a, perhaps a meal plan that's going to show people eat this way and you're going to capture 
all of these big studies and, and have these benefits of reduced depression, improved skin, you know, you're going to be smarter, faster, stronger, whatever. Don't hold me to some of those, right. but, <laughs> but, right. Yeah, right. but we're, we're like, Oh, okay. Wait, wait, before we make yeah. a health claim, and you'll yeah. feel better and you know, reduced <laughs> yeah. cancer rates, reduced overall yeah. mortality, yeah. Uh, things that I think will speak to people. And honestly, the, the thing I'm most excited about is that you, you literally feel better. Like, I do. I just feel different. I, and, and then like when I, when I regress, which I'm happy to do on occasion, like when you're in the mountains, I, you know, I ate a big steak and that's fine, but I did feel different the next day. Like I, it showed me more how different you might feel on a given day when you eat the right way, because of when I eat the wrong way, like, Oh yeah, this is how I felt all the time. Sort of slower, your your mood's different. Like I didn't have as much like creative energy. And so I'm excited for people to be exposed to this. Um, Mm. We're going to figure out as many ways as we can to make it easy for people to follow this style of eating. So the meal plan is one way. I think to get you from A to B with the meal plan is a good start, but I don't think it's everything. We're we're really hoping to find all the ways that people manage their way they eat. So for instance, going to the grocery store or having your food delivered. Totally. Uh, meal delivery services or meal kits, all these things could be ways to help you if they're, if they show you like this, this is a meal that's, you know, nutrition MD approved, or it helps you to eat in the way that, you know, our formula suggests they're all going to be ways like piecemeal baby steps towards the end eating this way. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're really excited. We think it's a bit of a bold statement, but I yeah. truly think that this is going to be the next you know, the next big change in the way people think about food. I, I think in the, I think the last time that something fundamentally changed was probably like the nineties and uh, Whole Foods, which started as this funny totally little grocery true. store in yeah. Austin. And, yeah. and it, it seemed like an odd, you know, it was sort of reserved for oddballs and, and, and folks that were, you know, into granola or whatever and organic food, things yeah. like that. And now it's pretty universal. And I think people have generally accepted that like fresh whole food is the way to go. I think the next step is that people are going to accept that, you know, there's foods with benefits and I want those foods and I want to, I I wish I had more meals in the day to incorporate them. So let me use the meals I have and, and incorporate all these foods to get these benefits. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to help people get there. We're going to lead the way. You know what? I mean, this is so exciting on so many levels, but the thing that I'm really stuck on that I think is so important to just kind of like reiterate as much as possible is that everything that you're saying is all about inclusivity, right? Like yes. you're talking about all of these things to bring in. And, and, you know, we started yeah. our conversation talking about that, but it really comes to life when, when you look at the meal plans, when you look at um, the information that is available on your website, that when you look at just the research itself, like this is not about what to take away. And this yeah. is not about doing anything that feels sad or disappointing or limiting to yeah. you. It's really about the incorporation above really. You're hundred percent right. It's such an important point. Um, I think that's to, in my mind, that's why part of why I think it's going to change the way people think is yeah. that if these fad diets are, they're miserable and that's why they're unsustainable. Yeah. And, and in the end, they often don't work except for a select few people that have this rock solid, willpower. I mean, most, uh, myself included, you really can't stick to it. it you know, take carbs and keto. Oh. So oh. Uh, it does work. Yes. And I, of course you lose weight, it, but it's very hard to sustain and people boomerang, um, or slingshot back. Right. When they come yes. back to carbs, they come back 
all the way to carbs. And here's the, like, look at our meal plan. There's carbs all over the place. You can eat them. And and the reason that people want carbs is because they're wonderful. They're Um, wonderful. (laughs) But, but they're, but you know, they're, they're, they're healthy carbs. They're, they're in everything in moderation, of course, but fruit, whole grain bread, you know, example is like, when I have hummus on a piece of good quality whole grain bread for lunch, like it's very satisfying. And the idea of having to instead just eat like 25 pieces of bacon every day, you you, you do miss those carbs. So yeah, the inclusivity is exactly right. And frankly, I'm not afraid of the idea of weight loss as sort of a, you know, this is not a, I think this is bigger than just a business strategy, but in terms of competition, mm-hmm. it's like us versus weight loss. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think you could mm-hmm. sort of think no, of it that completely. way. completely, completely. And the, the good news is that you do lose weight when you eat this way because it is so much more filling to eat healthy foods like fruits and vegetables instead of fried foods and, mm-hmm. and processed foods that if you're conscientious and just sort of only eat what, to the extent that you need and you only eat when you're hungry, you, you end up losing weight in a, and in a way that's sustainable. Unlike, let's say, keto, where you're likely going to, two years from now, be right back where you started. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's so interesting about that, too, is like there's almost like this dichotomy that you see on social media and in media in general or just kind of like in the landscape of the way that people are talking about food as it relates to health now, which is that like on one hand, you have that weight loss conversation on the other hand, or at least like that's sort of the perception, right? Like the outside perception is like either it's weight loss or it's full acceptance. Like I I had another interview with someone, we were talking about the concept of body positivity, which I'm massively in favor of with the, with the caveat that accepting oneself does not mean that you are stuck, right? Like it doesn't mean that you have to say at all costs, I'm not changing anything now because I've accepted myself, right? Like accepting yourself means also maybe you're accepting that you like blueberries, but you don't like strawberries, right? Like (laughs) like it's sort of about the idea that like that phase of, of existence is just dynamic. It's Mm -hmm. self-care is a dynamic place. Like Mm -hmm. how we evolve Mm -hmm. and how we choose to live can can always change. It can change from day to day, but we don't have to be stuck in one version of, you know, kind of pigeonholing ourselves into one version of ourselves in yeah. order to to feel like we're um, doing something the right way, quote unquote, you know? Yeah. Um, but what's, what's interesting about the concept of, you know, I, I was thinking about what you said about Whole Foods, which I think is such a perfect example and such an interesting one is that I should say before I say anything else is that what you're doing with Nutrition MD is so the opposite in a way, in a in a much more positive way, which is that there is this health halo around a lot of things, including I remember when <laughs> when Whole Foods first opened yeah. in the town that I went to college in um, uh-huh. in Evanston. Uh-huh. Um, I just remember everyone feeling, and myself enthusiastically included. And I knew nothing about nutrition when I was in college, so yeah. I, so fully. There was this perception of it being everything that you could possibly get there was good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was just and and by the way, like that could be said of food in general, but like there was this sort of like health halo perception that yeah. if you were to get the keto bacon at the Whole Foods, yeah. it it was still a wonderful, you know, yeah. nutrient dense. Like there was yeah. somehow something magical about yeah. the power of it. 
it's just, it's that marketing, like that sort of marketing power around what it actually means mm -hmm. to take care of oneself. Whereas in mm -hmm. your case, what you guys are doing so differently and so powerfully is that it's really, it's not about the BS. Like it's really about the, what can you personally do based on where you are right now and where you want to go in the future? Yeah. And also something, something else that you touched on about, about the steak reference um, over the weekend <laughs> of what yeah. you were saying over the weekend is that. It's really not just about where you want to be in this elusive future that you haven't seen yet. And it's not about weight either, necessarily. It's it's about, actually, what am I doing two hours from now? You know, yeah. like, it, it's really to that point of, what, of where we started our conversation about seeing patients. It's like, but I need to be able to stay awake to see my patients. <laughs> Like yeah. I can't actually take a nap during this surgery. So like, where am I going and how am I also fueling myself, but enjoying it so that it's way more than fuel. It's yep. really life, you know, yep. and making it, you know, small adjustments here and there yeah. perhaps and not, not feeling like you have to run the car off the road and, and just totally, totally uproot. And like, I, I, you know, I've been over, I've been taken by fits of like, let me just like, take on this yeah. uh, particular way of eating for a while. And like, you're excited, but eventually the excitement fades. None of it's sustainable. I think sustainability is a big yeah. part of what we want for people is the ability to just sort of perhaps gradually just begin to eat better and think of every meal as an opportunity to get something in you. That's going to yes. help you. It's going to right. prolong your life. It's going to, you know, make, make your mind sharper. And for my patients, I can tell you, the idea that dry eye can be addressed by diet, it's not unknown, but like yeah. to, to really zero in on that, people are so miserable with some of these things like dry mm. eye. Like the fact that you can look at your dinner and say, I want to eat something that I like, right? but I'm, I'm going to do, I, you know, I'm going to take the opportunity to spend, spend the calories essentially on, on benefiting myself. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's really important. And um, yeah, we're very, we're very excited about the possibility. So, now, can we pivot to one quick thing? And I, yeah. I know that I'm sure we have to wrap up soon, but I do, I, I have a question because I've been sitting here thinking about it <laughs> since Please. we started our conversation. And now I'm thinking that perhaps I'm not the only one with this question. What are the symptoms of dry eye? Oh, so dry eye, it's a funny disease. Not like ha ha funny, but yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, um, it causes some, some symptoms that you wouldn't expect. So it, most commonly will cause the feeling of having something stuck in your eye. Oh, um, yeah. Worst. Like a, like a grain of sand in the corner. I, yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen patients who come in thinking that that's what they have is something stuck in their eye. And it, wow. for some reason, when the eye gets dry, it thinks there's something stuck in there. In addition, yeah. a long list of things, including some blurry vision, tiredness of the eyes, itching, burning, certainly sometimes like an ache, almost an ache behind the eyes can be yeah. very common. And it, I think it, it's very, very common, like all, near universal. I think everyone has probably a little bit. It's, it does tend to emerge as you get older or wiser, as I would tell my patients. Thank you. Yeah, That's um, a beautiful way of saying yeah. it, Paul. That's a beautiful way of saying I, it. I like that so it's, much. It's funny. I, I usually read the room, but if it was like an, like a, like a, nice older lady and had to explain she she's horrified all these things are going around to say why say well right. you know you're as you get a little wiser yes um, and, you know whereas when i was at like at the va with the old guys I'd be like you my friend are an old man now 
Listen, Listen, I don't know how to tell you this. You've been diagnosed with old age. Because <laughs> they didn't care. They're like, I know. Um, right. But yeah, so so anyway, a, 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 a variety, a litany of symptoms, all of which are extremely annoying in its most extreme forms can be worse than annoying and, and life-altering, yeah. you know, yeah. pain all day, people who really struggle with their daily tasks because their eyes bother them so much. Right. Um, and the other thing with dry eyes is such a hard thing to treat. It requires... Yeah constant maintenance it's you know you can't really cure it it's really a it's just that your body's not as good at preventing it on its own anymore so it's one of those things that with diet can help and if you can just sort of not think about it but be eating this way and you find that your dry eye recovers some it's a powerful tool totally. um, and a good example of saying that you know doctors really don't have time to go over in the clinic but they would be happy to tell you do it you know right if you ask them, they'd say, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll for sure encourage it. Even if they can't, they can't get you from A to B because they didn't have the luxury of, of dropping out of their practice right. for a few months. But you know, that that's <laughs> right. what I'm here for is, is to help folks, you know, dry eye among, as we said, many other things. Yeah, no, that's amazing. All right. So, and I want to back up to one other thing, just because I know yeah, we've talked course. about this ad nauseum, but I think it's worth reiterating for, for listeners is the reason to take note of macular degeneration in general? Why Why is it important that we know what it is? Why is it important sure. that we start taking um, steps toward preventing it? And um, and what are some of the foods that, are, that people will find when they go to your website and look at the meal plans, which are glorious? And I have to give a shout out to that gazpacho. Because oh, I think yeah. it's your Emily's daughter's gazpacho. Emily's gazpacho. Emily, so Emily and I, we, it's a beautiful we've thing. exclusively gotten sidetracked, I feel. But one yes. more time, Emily's my sister um, <sighs> fantastic cook and very healthy and mm. she she's been making this gazpacho which also was comes from my mom who still makes it but emily sort of refined it um she makes a <laughs> big pot of it and she lives out in, in uh greenwich in connecticut and yeah. she goes to all of her friends and neighbors and brings them a little bit and it's like famous amongst her crew they love emily's gazpacho and so i i finally asked her i was like you know Having started this company, it'd be awesome if I could get the secret recipe, Thank um, you. which will, of course, not be secret anymore. And she was generous enough to give it. So if someone's going to eat gazpacho, whatever makes them happy, they should, you know, but this one yes. ha happens to be very umami heavy. So I mean, Worcester and, I, I saw the ingredients online. Yeah, it's a little on unusual. Uh, my mouth started watering. All you had to say, you had me at Frank's Red Hot. Okay, oh, yeah, Emily, yeah. Emily, yeah. if you're listening, you She's had me at Frank's Red be, Hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And and then it's kind of like, it's got this bite, you know, it's got this yes. acidic bite, but then you throw the corn <laughs> in, which is of course a whole grain and it it's sweet. It's a and, whole grain and it's a vegetable. It's yeah. a it's an all powerful being. It's magic. a crop. It's, it's a magic. That's it. Okay. So, so anyway, um, it, macular generation is not everywhere and don't live right. in fear of it. There's a good right. chance that you right. won't get it, Absolutely. but it's common enough that I think anyone should do what, you know, if it's a simple measure, like let's say eating healthier and it decreases your chances of having it. I can tell you from having seen patients who suffer from advanced stages of it, you know, it's worthwhile and it's common enough that, you, you know, someone, you know, will have this when you're in your sixties or seventies. Yeah. Um, or if you have this already, you know, that you'll do anything to slow it down. Um, right. And so on our, within the meal plan, you'll see them, but generally 
it's very closely aligned with the Mediterranean diet as, as all things are these days. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like Mediterranean plus, but eating fish three times a week to make sure you get the omega threes in addition to certain vitamins, green leafy vegetables and vegetables yeah. in general are both very important and very prominent. And then certain vitamins that we try to hit like vitamin A, zinc, I mentioned, Lutein and xanthine are, or zeaxanthine are extremely important. I, I'd say those are one of the sort of one of the focal points for macular degeneration that you might not find yeah. for the other conditions like yeah. you know, that I've mentioned. But those are really important. So eating is essentially eating fish a couple times a week. I could eat salmon and braised kale every night. Uh, it's funny, yeah. you know, kale has that slight bitterness, and oftentimes I find recipes are almost trying to cover that. But for some right. reason. The salmon with braised kale that I make that it's on the website. Um, that combination is so good. I, I yeah. Oh my gosh, I had multiple different versions of salmon this weekend that I felt like I was like, "What can't this fish do?" I know. Nothing. I eat it. I eat it on. I eat it uncooked on rice. I eat it. I eat it. You know, seared. And it's just broiled. delicious. Yeah. I. 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 Uh, I it's, it's funny with salmon that people. I often will hear people say, I like fish, but not salmon. That's the one right. fish I don't like. And I know. I actually think, I think people tend to overcook it. Um, yes, 100%. So 100%. I, that's why I say I'm a salmon truther. I'll, I'll tell people, like, go to my website. And <laughs> on the salmon with braised kale, I give very, you have to have a meat thermometer, but I give very specific instructions of how to not overcook it. And just try that's that it. and see if it yes. doesn't change your mind a little. Um, yes. But yes, the salmon, some non-fatty fish too. You can sort of mix and match like fatty fish once or twice a weekend yeah. and something like swordfish um, yeah. uh, or halibut, a lot of tofu. I mean, I, I know people don't always love tofu, but you know, I think there's ways to eat it that it's totally inoffensive and in fact, quite good. Um, but you know, you don't have, like, it's not I necessary. I love the word inoffensive <laughs> as it relates to tofu. It feels yeah. like. Some folks yes, are really like, it's not oh, tofu, I'm out. Right. Yeah, I, it, which it, you can do this without tofu. I think right. the reason it's on there is it is good. And it's a great way to get to where you need to go. Um, totally. I actually, the one recipe I have was just this crispy tofu. I, I, I do the recipes myself. I, I, that's, that's what I eat that's for dinner amazing. now. We never, we never yeah, got that's to that. That's amazing. But, my poor wife is is the <laughs> guinea pig, and so she's like you know, this one, not a winner. There's, <laughs> there is a cutting room floor. I, like I assure you, there's a lot that don't make the cut. But so the crispy tofu with pickled vegetables, I think it's listed as. I was determined to one of my favorite foods is a fried chicken sandwich with pickles. Oh, yeah. Like what kind of pickle? That's important. Dill, Sli- yes. like little little dill slices. Yeah, for for that. I mean. Yeah. Sweet ones have their place rarely, I they suppose. They do, they do. But, they have their, they're, they're a snacking yeah. delight, but yeah. they're not necessarily for no, fried chicken. It, I hear that. It's meant yeah. to be pickled dill. And so anyway, I, I was like, I'm going to recreate that, those flavors with tofu. I know I can do it. I had to make that so many times to get it right. And again, this is a good example <laughs> of my poor wife being like, uh, like, and finally on the last time it was good. So I bring this up as an example of this tofu, like it really tastes good. It's fried, but in a, in a healthy way, you know, it's not yep. deep fried, it's olive oil. Um, and then the pickled vegetables and the crunch, and it's just a great combo. And I think you can make a tofu believer out of the, out of the staunchest, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you can ride in on your steer and say, no, I only eat steaks and say, no, just try no. this. <laughs> right. Right. If we can make a tofu, be- this sandwich can make a tofu yeah. believer out of the 
the reddest out of anyone. The right. reddest, yes. neatest uh, yes. American. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It is, and it, it, so, so yeah, tofu fish chicken is fine. It's essentially, according to these studies, ad libitum. So yep. you can eat chicken. It's not, but it's also the interesting thing with the ad libitum, which is for your listeners, meaning as much as you want. Yeah. Um, when you fill all of your meals with these great things, you end up not having that much room for chicken. Right. Uh, but right. a night or right. two, usually a night or two with chicken. And then for lunch, it's what I like to do, which is like hummus on toast, salads, you know, mm. you're trying to get leafy greens every day. Um, and then breakfast, I generally will recommend like some fruit at breakfast because you're trying to get the fruit in anyway, um, yeah. as well as maybe yogurt parfait or, you, you know, there's, you, you want eggs each week as well. They're, um, yeah. They've been shown independently to be helpful for macular generation. So you know, about six eggs per week, which I could eat eggs for every meal. I could too. I could too. Um, And then you put it all together, you get the full week. And um, one of the things we'll point out is that like our seven day meal plan is it's every single meal has, has its own recipe. And that's meant to give people as many recipes to work with going forward. However, in practice, like I don't cook every single meal. I, now I do because it's almost like my job. But you know, for lunch, as I said, I I'll, I'll buy a thing at gazpacho or make it and eat it every day. And, and yeah. we point out where ways that you can sort of you know leftovers are really useful. Um, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be complicated. That's such a perfect perfect ending spot. I feel like that's exactly, that's sort of the, that's the whole message of everything that we've been talking about. It doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah, but follow I also, us, follow yes. Jackie and I, we, we, yes. are, we're, we feel really good about this. You we're know, I, I think, you know, for, it, it's, it was a major conversion in the way I yeah. thought about food as I researched yeah. this. And I think I, I'm really a regular guy when it came to eating before, like yeah. the bad habits from residency you know, and that kind of thing. And, and I think if people are exposed to both the experience of eating this way and also the data behind it, they'll be converted too. Yes. I mean, I, I think what's so amazing about Nutrition MD is that practicality, but also the real research and practice and the appreciation above all else of the inclusivity component, which I just think can't be stated enough inclusivity and simplicity okay so paul where can everybody find you where can we learn more where do we go what's our big resource to get to that we must get to our our main our our main spot is the is our facebook page it's okay uh, it's it's current it's i nutrition md you know as we grow we'll probably shift over to just plain old nutrition md as we've been talking about um Love it. And then um, inutritionmd.com is our is where you'll find a lot of these resources I mentioned. We have a ton of recipes, awesome. content about what's good for you and what's not and how to eat. And then soon enough, you know, the, you'll be able to sign up for our, our meal plans there. Um, but yeah, the Facebook page and group, I would recommend first. We are very involved there. So if you have questions, we love to chat and respond. We do love live that. talks, um, you know, about once a week and yeah, join there and we'll keep you updated. And as things come out, we'll we'll show, you, show them to you. Amazing. Paul, thank you so much you, for Jen. taking the pleasure. time today. Yeah. This was such a joy. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get the word out on this. And yes. so I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so 
much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at JacquelineLondonRD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers.